0: Hello, and welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange USA podcast. My name is Chris Hopkins, and I am the Vice President of the Evolution USA business. Today, I'm joined by an amazing panel to discuss a topic that should be at the forefront of every engineering leader's mind, plus the companies that they work for, which is improving diversity and inclusion within the tech industry. So before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Anisha, would you like to kick us off, please?
1: Sure thing. Uh, Anisha Dennis here. I'm an Associate Director of IT at Elevate Bio in the United States. I have about 20 years of IT experience focusing mainly on project management, strategic uh, partnership, and delivering solutions
2: for the business.
0: Perfect. Thanks for that. And next, Marina?
2: Hello, everyone. My name is uh, Marina Gilliver, and I'm a director of engineering uh, working for Capital One uh, out of the Boston office. I've been with Capital One for the last three years, uh, ever since Capital One opened uh, an office in the Boston area. Prior to that, I spent most of uh, my career, uh, 25 plus years, um, working through my career progression in technology, uh, and financial services industry primarily. I spent significant amount of time working for what used to be Thomson Financial, now Thomson Reuters. i worked for uh, Computershare, which is the largest uh, transfer agency um, in the United States. Uh, and most recently I worked for Line Data, which is a French um, uh, enterprise software company, uh, focusing on building uh, um, an order management system and real-time trading system for asset managers. Um, so I've been with capital one for uh, a little over three years and um, my focus is uh, risk Tech and I work through uh, all the tiers of risk management and
3: supporting risk technology organization at capital one. brilliant
0: thanks Marina um, Lekka
2: hey
3: guys uh, Leka Banerjee here I am the technology exec for data and engineering at Truist Bank. Uh, I've been here for about a year but then uh, prior to that I've had a long um, uh, tenure. Uh, within the financial industry, global financial industry, and uh, as well as high tech. And uh, particularly, my interest for this session is. Uh I also lead uh, women in tech groups. Uh, I've done that throughout my life. I'm a passionate uh, tech educator as well. And I'm looking forward to this discussion with all of my uh, co-panelists because I think the topic at hand, while it is uh, heavily discussed, I still think there's a lot of uh, gaps in what we experience day-to-day life. And that's my interest uh, in being in this uh, panel uh, this afternoon.
0: Thanks very much, Leka. And then finally, uh, Samita. Hello,
4: Al. Uh, my name is Sumita Palnisami. currently working as the Director of Engineering at CarGroos. I um, have been in CarGroos for about three months now. Um, before that, I uh, was working at Athena Health and uh, was a founding engineer at a company here in Boston before that. Um, my interest in today's topic also lies uh, from uh, being a passionate mentor of, of many folks who try to enter tech. Uh, for over a decade, um, I have volunteered uh, with Girls Who Code, uh, which is a great organization and also lead uh, a diversity and inclusion uh, in tech org for uh, associate engineers in car currently. currently. Uh, so this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart and hoping to learn more from the panelists here.
0: Brilliant. Thanks, Amita. Um, and thanks again for all of those introductions. Um, now let's move on to discuss um specific questions related to the overarching topic of improving diversity and inclusion in the tech industry. Marina, you put forward a question that I feel will set the scene well for um, our future questions and discussions. So the question you you put forward was, what do you see as the biggest challenge currently facing women in technology? So could you just kick things off by sharing why you put that question forward or statement forward and, and give some context around that, please?
2: Uh, Definitely. Thank you, Chris, for giving me the opportunity to to open up this. I feel like there's there's a lot of pressure on me to set the stage right now. Uh, But um, similar to Lika and Samita and Anisha, I'm very passionate about, um, you know, uh, underrepresentation of women in technology industry. I'm sure um, all four of us have found ourselves throughout a our careers as, um, the only person of, uh, you know, on the team, uh, who is a woman or walking in into a conference room with 20 or 30 people in a high profile meeting. And all, all of a sudden realizing that, um, we were the only women in, in that, uh, wonderful gathering. So it, it's a funny feeling to tell you the truth. And it, it is something that, uh, you notice immediately. I just wanted to let you know that, um, you know, to put it in context, uh, a couple of years ago, I attended, a uh, a conference, uh, which is uh, a big industry event, women in tech, uh, and it was the first uh, conference in in the Boston area. And I attended one of the key speaker talks um, in, uh, you know um, there, and uh, they presented some really stark numbers uh, to everyone who was at the conference. So it turns out um, that uh, the representation of women in tech, is on a steady decline. It has been on a steady decline for a number of years. Just to put it in uh, in uh, prospect, uh, you, you know, in, in focus for you, in 1984 there were 37 uh, percent women in STEM fields, um, you know, entering the universities, and in uh, since then. Uh, and you know it declined to just 18 um, percent. Um, and not only the the number of women is uh, declining in 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 the STEM field itself, the number of uh, technology jobs occupied by women is merely 25 percent, right? So um, and and um, All these researchers conducted a number of interviews, and the feedback that they received is that um, women are declining, uh, the number of women is declining in large numbers um, because they don't feel welcome. Uh, They don't feel that the field is diversified enough, and they don't feel included or welcome in the field, and that is a problem. You know, it's a twofold problem. First of all, how do we encourage women to go into STEM field to populate the pipeline with qualified candidates uh, that are underrepresented? And once they are in the field, how do we make them feel that they belong and included? And these are the main challenges that the industry faces today.
0: thanks for that context, Marina, and the the uh, the stats to to back up uh, what you're saying there is interesting. Um, Who would like to kind of pick up uh, talking around this topic?
3: I think, you know, picking up where Marina said, you know, about, I mean, essentially what she talked about was inclusion. And, you know, I've in fact experienced this in my lifetime. I'm sure y'all would have seen this too. I think a lot of times women, um, early in their career they are into stem fields but then as they kind of like mature to that mature through their careers i, I mean there is <clears throat> we know uh, technology is a tough mistress and and so we know that there's more and more time you need to spend in and uh, uh, what i mean this direct feedback i've repeatedly got is that they don't feel their work environment you know kind of uh, just the way their life varies the work em- environment is not as accepting to the variance in their life and so i mean again we are in 2022 but even then there is that you know that the constant comparison to maybe with folks uh who are able to spend a significant amount of time doing what they need to do especially in tech where you d- do need to keep yourself up to date like very very frequently and and so um I mean, that, again, you know, tends to be, uh, you know, another, uh, I think, hindrance, where, you know, I see, you know, I mean, often we have hired people, you know, coming out of conferences like Grace Hopper from a lot of university visits, et cetera, only to kind of like, you know, see it tapering, only to kind of see it, see people not, uh, you know, sticking on uh, into the STEM fields. And so I was just wondering if my fellow panelists had similar experiences to in, yeah. in what I've observed. That is... Anisha, yeah,
0: what uh,
1: would you like to add? I am in agreement with what uh, Lekha and Marina mentioned. From, you know, but from my own experience, I would say I had a non-traditional background, so I did not go to college immediately after high school. So I would have missed out on the university recruiting. And I think what we um, are constantly tell ourselves and I think we need to do more of it is and it's something that Samita mentioned in her introduction is the mentorship And the sponsorship, you have to make an active effort to go out and find these people and not just hire them, but really track them across their career path. Um, not just say, Okay, I got you in the job, you know, good luck, have a nice life. It's simply I'm gonna make it my mission to make sure that you succeed. And I have to, if I have to open doors for you, if I have to mentor you, if I have to be a sponsor. I am willing to do that. And so that's something that I see as worked as something that I've done in the past, you know, and I still do it. I make sure I look for people that want to know, want to learn, want to enter into this industry and keep 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 up with them. Not just get them the job and move on, just check in with them, making sure that I'm taking responsibility. Think of that person as my baby, quote unquote, you know, so I need to make sure I nurture that person's career path so that they do succeed.
0: Thanks. Would you, Samita, would you echo the, because I think people talk a lot about, um, you know, female talent coming into the industry, but um, Laker was kind of highlighting that, that, that number also t- tapers off after a period of time. Is that your own personal experience as well?
4: Yeah, uh, it has been. And unfortunately, I think the pandemic has kind of made it worse uh, because women did uh, take a huge grunt of the the pandemic's effects. Um, And I think one of the ways to kind of support each other in the process is to have your own sister circle of women who are supporting you. Um, who you can talk to with uh, no filter as to like, these are the problems I face because they know exactly where you're coming from. Like this analyst among here um, who have faced similar issues can attest to that. So it's easier to have um, a network with you to kind of talk about that in addition to uh, Anisha's point of like having a mentor or a sponsor. for those of us who are lucky enough to have one.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Um Marina, what would you like to
2: add? Yeah. So, um, as I mentioned, um, you know, in in my um, you know introduction to to the subject, I think we need to tackle it from two angles, right? This problem. First of all, how do we increase the representation of girls in in STEM field, right? And there are a few ways that we can get engaged. In, and I see that some companies actually do get engaged. For example, Capital One uh, actively participates, as participates in supporting nonprofit organizations such as Girls Who Code or Black Girls Who Code or Anita Borg um, uh, Institute um, in helping these organizations attract and retain uh, the top talent. That, that's step uh, step number one. And once in the field, obviously, uh, we need to make sure that we support women through uh, establishing mentoring partnerships, helping them uh, build their skills, presentation skills, building their uh, representation and brand, and, um, their personal brand to progress their career. Ex, uh, um, you know, and uh, provide true sponsorship opportunities, which is slightly different from being a good mentor. You need to be a sponsor as well to create these um, opportunities for.
4: Uh, female engineers.
0: Yeah. Uh, Sumitra, you wanted to add further?
4: Um, totally agreed. So I think uh, to kind of make sure that you build that circle is to um, go to conferences and attend uh, sessions uh, where you have fellow attendees. Look for networking opportunities. You both are in a, in a session Um, That talks about building your brand, for example, make a connection with those attendees um, and connect with them on LinkedIn and have a a, a meetup, set up a meetup every few months or so, so that accountability really helps. There is a lot of research that says that being accountable to someone actually increases your chances of uh, succeeding at a goal. Even writing it down has a more positive impact. Um, Having accountability increases that impact. So things to keep in mind.
0: Yeah. Brilliant. So, yeah, thanks for that, guys. I think um, that that's really set the scene nicely for, for future questions that we're going to move on to. So, um, let's move on to question which you put forward, Samita, actually, which was, how do you work in a company where the upper management doesn't have diversity? Which um, is a great question, I think. So, yeah, again, do you want to set the scene for, for us and we could take it from there? Yeah,
4: of course. Um, I think this question comes from a history of working in startups. Um, so, for example, less than 2% of enterprise software startups in the U.S. have one, at least one female founder. So, if that's the stage of the startup founders, uh, how are you going to attract talent? How are you going to retain talent, right? So, in most of these companies, diversity and inclusion is very much an afterthought as a result because you don't have representation to begin with. Um, So Boston is a heavy startup um, place. So this is a common problem that folks place. Um, So this is uh, where my heart was when I first joined a startup as to like, how do I face this? How do I navigate this? And um, I wanted to talk about this with the panelists to see if they have encountered the situations
0: before. Well, it's a pretty incredible stat that less than 2% of startup founders in the Software space in the US, female. Wow. Okay. Um Lekka, what, what are your thoughts on this question?
3: Yeah, and I thought, you know, uh, I'm sure many of us have faced this problem. You know, even if it is the if it doesn't need to be, you know, out top the chain, but in the various levels in between. And and honestly, um the way we've tried to approach this in in, in various levels is not essentially talk about the need for diversity for diversity's sake, but it's essentially for the diversity of thought, right? And how you achieve the diversity of thought through the workforce that you have. Because Sumita's point, I'm sure Anisha and Marina agree too as well. If we were to approach diversity as, okay, this is diversity for just one set of people, right? be it whatever gender, race, you know, anything else, you know, the usual parameters that we Uh, you know, move towards. And if we, again, approach this, and a a lot of this is happening across the industry, perpetrated by, you know, a lot of, you know, consultants as well or consulting companies that you need to have X percentage of this. You need to have Y percentage of that. And to Samita's point, in the context of a startup too, because that's not necessarily the goal of a startup. A goal of a startup is to become the, you know, next Bezos or, you know, create a big enough company, which then gets acquired by, you know, Another large company, and so they are hyper focused. That's their goal, which which is right and fair. But we as leaders, and you know, we as influencers, and even if you are not in leadership roles, you know, if if you are, uh, you know, if you're in the company for the right reason, and if they have hired you for the right reason, I would think that we do have a voice, and we should focus more on why we need that diversity of thought. Because, again, there are many metrics out there where when you have a di- diverse workforce, work it doesn't always guarantee an optimal result. You know, at the end of the day, you know, we are, I mean, most of us are not working in philanthropy. So we have, to, you know, it does need to hit the bottom line. And in that regard, you know, it's also about, you know, making the case to the founders that how all of this is going to better a product line that you're offering, or a service that you're offering, and you know by far uh, when we do find there are a lot of diverse organizations, you know it has a twofold uh, value. It's not just in the context of employee satisfaction and engagement. That's again the human part of it, but how exactly has it resulted in better? Uh, products that you have to offer, or better services, because all of us are in one business or the other. It's either products or services, and so that—that's kind of how I, uh, you know, looked at it. But you know, would love to hear from you know from Anisha or Marina. Yeah,
1: I think that is uh, a great thought. Um, I think when when I think back to some examples of where you definitely need um, diversity at the leadership level is the the thought flows down right what they think how they operate flows down if it's the same thing one example is the oh, the starter the founder of WeWork right it basically imploded but then he kind of gets a ton of money to start this new um venture will it still be the same did he learn anything i i don't know um one example of having diverse a diverse workforce and diverse leadership is I recently watched um a segment on YouTube about AI and how I, they identify photos and the fact that a lot of the programmers and developers were not did not look like this panel the way it functioned is they would identify a photo of a gorilla as a black man right and and there are things like that you see like AI is learning from the people that are programming it and it's kind of becoming a bit sexist it becomes you know a little bit racist here and there so so I think that it's very crucial that especially if you're developing a product that you're going to sell to the consumers, then not having someone with the same thought process, um, the same experience. Um, and I agree that diversity of thought is good, but if you still come from a very similar background, then you may not question um, your, your fellow um leaders about you know their suggestions and their plans and process because you think you still kind of think the way they do so it depends on what the diversity of thought is i once had worked at another biotech company and um, they were hiring for an executive role that was recently vacated. And um, we wanted someone that, we we wanted a person of color. And we were very specific that we would like it to look more like the population. And instead they, you know, they hired someone from a, a, a Nordic background and they said that was a diversity of thought. So to us, it was like, okay, well, I guess for you, it's a little different because you're from Yale. You have your, you know, you um, associated with quite a lot of folks from the Ivy Leagues and so forth, and she is not. So that there, that's their understanding of diversity of thought. So I think that's a very nuanced um, approach, and you know, it all, it's all subjective.
0: Right, points. Thanks for that, um, Marina. Moving on to uh, yourself on this topic.
2: Um, sure. Uh, it's a great topic, uh, and I would say that uh, obviously, as Samita pointed out. Uh, It all comes from the top. So if, uh, if the top management, the most senior management uh, of the company, uh, do not, if they do not buy in, into diversity and inclusion, I think uh, uh, you know, uh, not much can be done, right? So you, you'll be pushing and pushing, but if people do not appreciate their, that aspect of their workforce, that there's only so much you can do. Um, and what works with the senior management is definitely numbers. There are numerous studies uh, available uh, to... Um, kind of add to your argument that diverse teams produce better results, and these better results are measured in in different parameters, like uh, larger output, more effective, more innovation. Uh, So these um, studies, um, they they speak volumes, and they could be presented, and um, if... uh, you know, at some point, from my personal experience, I've been uh, at companies where I was hired as a first, uh, let's say, director of engineering, female director of engineering. At some point, you just uh, hit, uh, you know, a wall and and you need to make a decision. So, you know, you've tried it all. You've tried all the approaches and it still doesn't work. It still doesn't kick. What do you do? And then you make a personal decision for yourself.
0: Thanks, Marina. So let's maybe segue into another question that was put forward, um, this one by Anisha where you asked, um, are DEI leaders empowered to make real changes, which is kind of related to what we've just touched on there. So do you want to give some context around this and we can move on to talk about this topic?
1: Sure. So um, we all know about uh, the uh, George Floyd incident, and that really um, kicked off a lot of discussion across a lot of different industries about you know, taking racism seriously being more sensitive to their diverse workforce, and I've seen quite a lot of um, notifications on my LinkedIn um, wall about, you know, new head of diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, at my own company at the time, um, we hired a VP of HR, and she was then take had to take on this um, role of being head of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, But I will say from my experience, um, I gladly joined the committee because I fully believe in, you know, it can work if we do the work and it's not easy work. But what I found was her budget was $25,000. And from that, we were expected to bring in speakers, you know, developing learning tools and all kinds of different tasks and initiatives um, across the organization. But we could not do that on the budget we had the Our executive sponsor gave a speech that he supported diversity, and that was it. So how do we empower these people that we put in place and give them the task of making sure that our workforce is diverse, there's equity and there's inclusion and then you know making sure that we're um, we're accomplishing the um the task and the goal that's been presented to that 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 leadership? yeah, I
0: think Maybe Marina's point about um, having to come top-down is is relevant here. I mean, I'll put it out there as a question. Has any of the panel worked within an organisation where they've seen a lot of positive change come from internal DEI um, initiatives that that have been driven, etc.? Marina?
2: Thank you, Chris. Um, yes, I do see a lot of momentum uh, at uh, at the company that I currently work at, uh, at Capital One. So, so we started with the first initi- initiative where we organized women in tech organization, and uh, we ran it for uh, a couple of years, number of years. And what that program focused on is providing career opportunities for uh, female engineers, right? And that is mentorship, sponsorship, uh, training, coaching, uh, and building, uh, you know, resilient skill set. Uh, we analyzed the numbers, and uh, it proved to be working really well. And as a result of that, um, launched uh, a number of other, as we call, bis- business resource groups. For example, we now have a um, relatively new organization, Blacks in Tech, and Hispanics in Tech. And um, these um, business resource groups are. Um, uh, heavily subscribed to, um, and they partner a lot with the, uh, our recruiting initiatives, to tell you the truth. So so I'm a representative of Women in Tech, Boston chapter, uh, also called New England chapter, and uh, I'm a lead, a recruiting uh, lead for Women in Tech. So I can tell you that I have been involved when Uh, with uh, student organizations uh, on different campuses, such as uh, women engineers at MIT or um, other um, women and uh, Hispanics and blacks-oriented organizations at Northeastern BU and Harvard. And we go to campus, we do presentations, we focus on career opportunities that are available to underrepresented minorities, and uh, we follow up with the students and we are engaged. Just to provide a couple of examples of uh, what is being currently done at CAPTA.
0: Good, good to hear um laker what um have been your experience around um these initiatives or internal teams that have been set up etc
3: yeah you know, i just wanted to say that you know i keenly understand anisha's problem right and uh, uh i mean so so, so and, and i think as the you know business environment varies i think we've all experienced how you know some of these initiatives can get um you know, uh, can have their budgets cut, or you know, be you know, be very limited. And I think, uh, you know, through those you know, lean financial si- cycles, what we've kind of done through is, you know, really explore our own like, you know, personal network. Uh, for example, one of the work streams within Women in Tech that I lead you know, is about partnerships, internal and external. So what we are trying to then do is basically democratize so many of the opportunities that, you know, a few of us get to really represent at, you know, top conferences, you know, go into these, you know, exchange meetups. And so, you know, where we've had paucity of funds, you know, we've, you know, we've kind of rejigged Uh, the the goals for that particular year. Obviously, it starts off with a large laundry list of things to do. But okay, you reject that this this is the money at hand, uh, or this is the funds at hand or no funds at hand. But how do we use you know, how do we use that adversity? How do we use that constraint? and still push the ball along. Okay. So if I had 10 goals for women in tech, maybe I can get to three, but I'll do my level best to get that, you know, get to the three because, you know, it's, it's been my common experience, uh, or, or a consistent experience where I've been in, you know, I've been very fortunate to be in companies where, um, you know, diversity was never an afterthought. It was something which was just, you know, embedded, even though, You know, it it started off with the top of the table not having diversity, but then over a period of time, it was something that got built. But at the same time, though, you know, in terms of, you know, in uh, using these programs, I, I, I think where sometimes we tend to falter is... Some of us, I think someone mentioned that earlier as well. Some of us have got, had the right opportunities for of getting mentored, of getting you know pulled into a network and had these opportunities. How do we go from there again in a you know in a either in a lean funding year or non lean funding year to democratize? Because we do need to. Give more women and take these opportunities. And to go back to our earlier comment, where you know maybe a lot of people feel uh, let down after the initial energy that they want to leave, but you know when we present these opportunities to folks, where they get to grow their own network and we kind of guide them through it, we've, because it's not that we have kept all the opportunity for ourselves. We've actually kind of you know democratized that, and that is kind of somehow you know so, some of the tricks. Uh, you know, that I've used in the past, um, Anisha, where, you know, you just try to do the best with uh, with the lean funding here.
0: <laughs> um, Sumita, what are, what are your thoughts?
4: Um, yeah, so I know the budget constraints very well and have definitely faced that. Um, I think in the most um, bang for your buck, if you will, in this case is to volunteer as much as you can, Anisha. So for example, uh, I have volunteered at um, a tech together, which is like a huge hackathon that happens in Boston every year. They uh, did like a virtual one a couple of years ago because of the pandemic. You meet a whole diverse candidate that you would never meet on uh, a daily basis. So uh, essentially start grassroots movement is what I'm trying to indicate, like volunteering at Tech Together, volunteering at an organization in Boston called Resilient Coders. So organizations like this is how you get to spread the word about your company, which costs basically nothing, but you're still progressing in some sense. Uh, You're changing someone's life for the better. And this is just an extra icing on the cake that they get to know about you and your company.
0: So basically proactively being an external advocate. For your business that, that you're working for, et cetera. Yeah, great idea. Um, cool. Um, maybe let's move on, um, Laker. You had a couple of questions uh, that you put forward that were specifically related more to the hiring aspect um, uh, regarding DNI. So the two points um, or questions you raised were: Oh no, I have <laughs> been given a DNI target, but I am unable to find the right tech talent. How would you coach and mentor somebody? Based in this situation, and then secondly, there is a myth that DNI is about hiring less qualified candidates. What has been your experience as a leader and hiring manager? So, you can, up to you, deal with them independently or, or collectively. Um, either way, is absolutely fine. If you just want to, uh, again, set some context.
3: Sure, and I'm sure my fellow panelists and fellow lady, new lady friends, have experienced many of this in some shape or form and i do think you know this this is something i've struggled with um, not just kind of you know being given these targets for myself or uh, disseminating to the team and it's about you know how do i you know how do i go about attracting um, a diverse set of talent because even if it is women in tech there is a lot of diversity within women in tech and and uh, so so uh, and and so my my question my my response is actually kind of handles both the questions together, and so sometimes you know a lot of these these programs while well intentioned do tend to be quota based and it's about you know, okay, how do I make certain hires to kind of get the ball rolling? And this does require many of us thinking differently, too, because we all approach, uh, we all approach hiring like, you know, I need to have the best person out there with all the possible experience or, I need to have the best person out there, even if I don't have as much experience or whatever. But that's one of the things (laughs) that I ground myself and I tell my team too. you know, unless you're maybe like SpaceX or somebody and launching satellites into the sky and, you know, NASA or someone where there's a lot of speciality involved. I mean, if we really are introspective, we know that a lot of what we, uh, you know, what we do Uh, you know, can be taught, uh, or, um, you know, uh, over a period of time. And, you know, we are living in a world where there are plenty of trainings, you know, there's so much available, even if it is not paid training, there's just so much in YouTube, and, you know, so many of these uh, other, uh, you know, sites, which is just freely available. And so it's about, okay, so I do have a quota. And so uh, do I, you know, yes, I need to meet the quota, because that's, what you know the senior execs want. Maybe I start with someone who is less qualified, but that doesn't mean that you know that's a detriment, right? And it also behooves me as a leader and a hiring manager to kind of explain that to the rest of the team. You know, I think many of us can remember the famously infamous letter written by a Google engineer, right? I mean, which was you know a direct attack against uh, you know women in tech, and you know we all probably have. Uh, again, uh, you know, team member, you know, teams or team members who may think that way. Okay, why is this person, uh, you know, she's less qualified? But then it, it behooves us to kind of explain to them through the thought process. Yes, I have done this, but we can't always get the person who fills the skill set. And again, we are all in different companies which have different, uh, you know, uh, funding levels, right? I mean, uh, if you are a smaller company, you may not be able to attract the same talent as our a larger company. It's just the reality of life, but that doesn't need to necessarily stop you from doing that. So maybe you hire somebody with like, experience, but explain to your team how we can coach them through what we are doing, right? And then the other thing, which which is something which we have actively done, even in prior life, is where we don't find the diversity, we have actually gone and partnered with universities, local universities, and trust me, the local schools and the universities are so uh, open uh, to that. I mean, especially if you do start at a school level, to our earlier uh, discussion of why STEM is falling, I mean, trust me, if we go to our local schools or even community colleges and partner with them, and they really are willing to partner with leaders like us and say that we'll kind of coach you through the curriculum, we'll kind of coach you through so many sessions and bring that kind of like, you know, workforce in. So, even though, you know, so even in the context of women in tech, again, if we are trying to get, you know, and uh, the next layer of diversity, we've actually kind of invested in that, you know, from the original pool and uh, brought them over. So these were just, you know, some of the experiences where I think a lot of times we feel very like straight jacketed because of the metric that we are held to. And always, you know, the metrics, we do need to say, especially many of us leaders on this call, people listening to this podcast, we do need to say that we have to go beyond the metrics or the metrics needs to be ramped up over a period of time. It's a means to an end, but not the end itself. And just my final point on this was, again, our role as leaders, given that we have large teams that we manage, is, you know, to the rest of the workforce. I mean, we we do need to work with them to to make sure that they are being inclusive and welcoming of the diverse talent that we are coming in. Because again, this is a problem that happens when we just make a metrics out of it that I have this person and this you know, this kind and you know all these various levels in which we measure DEI. If we just make a metrics out of it, but it's not really involved in your culture, you are not really including them. It's just a you know, it's just a diverse workforce of sake of it. What's the point? Because then you're going to have attrition. And so I'm sure all my fellow panelists are going to have amazing uh, thoughts to share on this.
0: Thanks, Leka. Yeah, I think um, speaking of attrition, if you do, if you are able to go down that route of hiring more on potential, and somebody's um, ability to grow into a role so you've got the infrastructure in place to coach and mentor and and support them and train them then that definitely the result of that is often longevity you know and and that person staying and growing with the organization for a much longer period of time so you know yes it might be a um a slower burn as it were but in the long run it definitely pays back um dividends um you wanted to pick up the baton on this topic
4: yes um some quick stats on companies that have racial diversity is um, a catalyst found that women directors, uh, companies that have women directors outperformed others by 53%. And uh, McKinsey did a survey and they said that companies in the top quartile for racial ethnic diversity are 35% more likely to have financial returns than national industry averages. So it's it essentially translates to more money and better success and more innovation. Because you have representation that actually understands your audience, um, so the diversity hire in turn helps your bottom line.
0: Yep, good good stats again. Thank you, um, Anisha. What what are your thoughts on this topic?
1: Um, so for me, I approach it from two perspectives. One as a hiring manager. One of my previous roles is I manage a team that developed and maintained the systems used in the OR at Mass General Hospital. So that's a huge hospital, very busy. We're on call 24 um, seven. One of the opportunities I had was at the time, our CIO uh, put out a, a call for um, folks that would be interested in um, having an, um, an intern for a few months. And I jumped at the opportunity. And the com- the, the school that this person was from, and I'm glad you mentioned this, Lekha, like was the Benjamin Franklin Institute of Technology. It wasn't Northeastern. It wasn't Boston University. It was not Harvard or MIT or anything. Not that there's anything wrong with those places, but when you think of schools, people automatically think about those big institutions. So I was very um, excited about giving this person from a smaller, not so well known institution a chance. And, you know, this was about. I want to say 10 years ago, she's still there. She's still working for what well, partners, healthcare, now Mass General Brigham. She's done uh, different roles. She loves, she still loves the institution. But if we had looked towards the more well-known schools and the folks that probably didn't have student loans, because if parents could afford the tuition, she would not be something, someone we would have considered, right? So that is something that I am a huge advocate of don't just look at the ones that, um, you know, went right from high school to college or the ones that didn't have to take out loans or the ones that, you know, maybe didn't have to work to help support their family. I think, you know, being from a non-traditional background where I did not go from high school directly to college, I'm always looking out for that one thing that let me know that you're hungry for this. You would never, nothing was ever handed to you. You understand what hard work is, and you know that um, if given a chance, you can really shine. And I would say to this day, I'm very proud of her. Yes, I still keep in touch with her. Yes, I make sure that she's good. If she ever needs a reference, I'll be the first to raise my hand and offer it to her. So that's how I look at it. And also, from a, um, a leadership perspective, whenever I'm asked about, potential interns, you know, my current company, as it stands, we're looking at potential interns for security roles, right? So we have our CISO, and he's a great guy. He's from Harvard University. He's number one in my book. Um, One thing that um, him and I are in agreement with is that we want to look at non-traditional as well, you know? So there are plenty of people from the military that are recently out of the military that have training programs. So they're adults, they understand work, and they need a chance. So I'm always looking at what can I do? How can I offer someone an opportunity that might not understand, you know, or we're not taught how to network because I certainly wasn't. So I had to learn. Uh, so I'm hoping that if I, if it's something that I learn, I don't want you to reinvent the wheel so I can help you any which way I can. I'll do that.
0: Thanks a lot, Anisha. And, uh, what a great, great story to, uh, put forward as an example. Um, Marina, uh over to you.
2: So thank you, Anisha, for those uh, great points. And I completely agree with uh, what you're saying. Yes, there is, a, a, and a, you know, uh, there's more emphasis on well-known institutions. That that's for sure because everyone knows about them and they know that computer science programs are strong there. But uh, obviously, um, you know, the recruiting efforts can be focused on, uh, you know, less traditional institutions or. Uh, institutions that specialize in educating women or uh, black students, and there are a number of those uh, in the United States. And uh, uh, I know that our recruiting efforts, are, um, you know, are re- uh, being being refocused to concentrate on the specific institutions to bring the um, the diversity into the student pool that we are um, interviewing um, uh, after the graduation. But I just wanted to uh, talk about the. Quarters and uh, just tell you the the truth, I'm not a big fan of any quarters. You know, this is just not a healthy situation when, uh, you know, your recruiting uh, uh, efforts are driven by hard numbers that have no basis under them. And you're just working towards a number without um, actually uh, worrying about, uh, you know, bringing the true talent to the team. And, you know, it's great to pay attention to your diversity pool, but once you start focusing on, you know, specific numbers, that's where your efforts are are not going to be as effective uh, from my perspective. Um, And I completely agree initially with you. Um, We need to give people chances. You were given a chance. Um, You know, I'm sure I was given a huge fat chance when I first moved to the United States. And, um, you know, I was looking for my first job and my first manager took a big chance on someone who just moved to this country, didn't speak a single word of English. So, so that was a big fat chance. And I eternally grateful to that person to believing in me, uh, because she gave me, uh, you know, coding test. Um, so I didn't have to speak much. So that was phenomenal. And we need to pay it forward and give chances to other people, right? And I can tell you that uh, I personally hire for attitude not the laundry list of skill sets that a candidate needs to check off. It's the attitude that a person brings to the table and um, willingness to learn, willingness to work hard. And that ultimately what matters. And I can echo what Anisha said, my best hire ever was someone who uh, I brought uh, on on the team with not a single language, programming language that we, we utilized. And that person just asked me for this chance. And he walked into that interview and said, I know what your job requirements are. I don't have it all, but I promise you that I will have it, and I will um, work hard and learn hard. Just give, um, just take a chance on me, and I did, and uh, that was the best hire I ever made. And we're still in touch, and I'm c- continue giving him, um, you know, references up until this day. It's the attitude, uh, more than an aptitude, that we need to look out for.
0: Brilliant. Thanks for that, Marina. Um, going back to yourself, Anisha.
1: I like that. I really like that. I one other thing I would say is um I've looked I've looked at hundreds and hundreds of resumes in my time. And I would say if we can convince leaders and hiring managers and HR to really understand like okay, identify the crucial need, what is the requirements of this role? Because oftentimes, they're just this long laundry list. And we know um, someone that might not be all that confident will take a look at that job posting. And if they're anything like us women, we like to check off all the boxes before we think we're qualified. So if we can really focus on what is the need for this role versus if you have this, great, if not, no big deal. I think that's something that we can definitely do as, as managers ourselves. Whenever we post uh, for an open position, really focus on what is the need and really eliminate all the extra that we tend to add to those postings.
0: Yeah, there's also some good research that's been done around the um, the actual wording that's utilized within those adverts and um, how that impacts the the number of female candidates that are confident enough to to apply for them, etc. So. Uh, an example would be ambitious, so that is, that's a word that um, would be would resonate more with with male or potential male applicants, et cetera. So, yeah, it's quite quite interesting that um, how you position things, even from a, a, a word by word context on an advert, can have a big impact. Um, Sumita, uh,
4: totally right, Anisha. I do think as women, we do tend to like make sure that oh, do I hit the hundred percent of the list. Um, And one of the things that really uh, drew me to Curvers was uh, how they had in their uh, job description that I know that you may think that you're not 100% satisfied, but do apply for it. We want to talk to you. And I think that's an important tell uh, for me, at least, uh, about the company culture itself, that you're willing to give people a shot uh, to hire for potential. And especially after the pandemic, I do think that to be aware of women who come back After a career break of taking care of young children um, is also another opportunity uh, for companies to keep their eye open.
0: Yeah, that's very much related to what we talked about initially in terms of technology moving so quickly. It it really does nowadays. So, you know, even, you know, six, nine months out of the industry can kind of um, sometimes put you at quite a big disadvantage to others that um, have not had that time out. Marina? Marina? What uh, would you like to add?
2: One last comment that I wanted to make. To make um, this is something that I decided to pursue and encourage all my hiring managers to do that. Uh, we as a team took uh, a class uh, on unbiased, uh, on bi- uh, on co- unconscious biases, um, and I think it's very important to uh, come to terms that everyone has them, and it's important to recognize the different kinds of biases that are, um, you know. Prevalent in in uh, in culture, uh, in order to fight it consciously and um, you know uh, try to bring diverse uh, talent that is doesn't look like you uh, because uh, that's incredibly beneficial for everyone.
0: Brilliant. Um, and looping back to Samita, um,
4: I totally agree uh, to the point of um, hiring uh, diverse candidates and being open to the option of hiring folks who don't have uh, an exact cookie cutter background. I think hiring from boot camps, uh, like you said, Anisha, would also be a a great idea to keep an eye out for folks who don't have the exact uh, uh, Ivy League background. And uh, the on-ramp program at uh, Corvus, which has been running for a few years, uh, now has also been really successful. We have people who started in the first cohort three years ago who um, 80% of them have been promoted in the ne- in these few years they've been there. And uh, we also have uh, almost uh, 90% of uh, um, people who started there still at Corgros, which itself is a huge testament to the program because people who come from the program are not from a traditional background. They are from boot camps, from like Bunker Hill Community College. I have a report from there. And he's really awesome. And uh, so whenever I go to career fairs, I was like, you have to come with me. Convince other people. So it definitely pays forward.
0: Excellent. So there was one more outstanding question we haven't um, officially dealt with. We're definitely touched on the topic. But Anisha, do you want to... um, uh, provide some further context around it and we could kind of wrap up the discussion on this. So the question was, um, what can companies do to make their population reflect the community they serve or their
1: area demographic? Sure. So I think we've all, you know, we've kind of talked about this uh, quite a bit, um, but I would say, um, you know, pay attention to what's around you. You know, um, I've had experience where I won't say any names, but we've had a CFO, Um, you know, we were talking with him about bringing on someone to help us out with some extra work that we had. And, you know, we said, oh, yes, we're looking at, you know, this program and, and what have you. And, He actually mentioned um, someone that he knows, which is great because this person has a lovely network and has someone to advocate for them. But this person had a finance background and was not interested in tech, but he wanted something to do for the summer, right? So that's not necessarily someone we would want, you know, because it's not a passion of his. So we pushed back on that and we did move forward to seeing what else was out there, uh, reaching out to uh, our actual network, um, you know. See if you have anyone that would fit this role that's looking to gain the experience and so forth. So I would say, uh what are your thoughts on making sure that the, the communities that you of um, your customers and the areas where your companies are, how do you go about or ensuring that the employee base is more a reflection
4: of the, the surrounding area? Great
0: question. So um Samita, do you want to? You want to start
4: yeah i think uh, starting with community colleges is a great source uh, because they are essentially uh, folks um who are trying to make their way up to other colleges or people who um, cannot really afford a high fee but are still working hard to achieve that success um i think that's a great place to start uh, because you get uh, the qualification of the candidates you want plus they reflective of the community you live in so I think that would be a place that I would look at. I would also look at any local boot camps um, that, that are possible. Network with other women um, who know of such boot camps uh, to begin with, because there are so many of them in Boston. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I didn't even know that this existed till I spoke to this person. So having a network where you can actually discuss these things or find um a way to know about uh, these uh, boot camps and organizations that help women is also another source
0: brilliant um Leica, what um would be your thoughts on on this particular topic
3: no i i think i'm, I'm on board but like i was saying earlier I think you, you know you, we kind of catch them even younger when they are at the at the school level, and I think what you know one of the things that I've, I've seen you know fellow um, co-workers and teammates do is they particularly. Pay attention to inner-city schools because again, you know, we have a variety of schools. Many of them are private, magnet, whatever, right? You know, uh, but and 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 not to say that you know, it's not about exclusion, but they already have a lot of tools available to help them grow and kind of you know set them in particular path early on. But then you know, I've had folks who who make it a point to really go and partner with inner city schools and trust me the enthusiasm that those principals and those teachers have in working with you to develop a, uh, to develop a curriculum right so there's the standard um you know county-based curriculum uh, that might have that might be present but then specific get into what makes sense for their companies. And I think many of us, you know, we've it's been very enriching experiences because, when, again, you know, I think to one of Anisha's earlier experiences, too, of grabbing someone early on, if you kind of like guide them through the entire you know uh, you know their, their career path wherever it might lead it just kind of makes more sense and i mean and one of the biggest things and i was talking to somebody else this afternoon as well is what you get from from a lot of uh, you know children and you know uh, girls and women from you know from these schools and, and not just limiting to women or um, obviously i mean just 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 being inclusive is, is just that there is a genuine sense of gratitude. There's, you know, there, there, there isn't, you know, there's a genuine sense of appreciation of the opportunity that they have been given and they have been guided through it, uh, you know, almost at a, you know, one-on-one level. and And, and that is enriching, not just for them, but for, then they then become your spokesperson to take it from that point onwards. So, so that's been, uh, I mean, that's been my experience and that's what I try to do, you know, for, for, for my teams and other teams as well.
0: Brilliant. Thanks, Leka. Um Heading back to yourself, Anisha.
3: Yes,
1: very, uh, thanks for that. I, I think, um, you know, reaching out to those inner city schools, one thing I did learn as a child is, it's ho- it's sometimes hard for you to picture yourself in that role, unless you see someone that looks like you, you know, so it may be, they were never introduced to uh, all, you know, a different career. They may be, they may be very limited based on their family or their community, the certain career choices. So if we get to them and, and and let them realize, hey, I look like you, I'm from, you know, your community, I'm from your country, and I'm doing, you know, I'm doing programming, I'm doing project management, I'm, you know, I'm a researcher, et cetera. I think it's working with folks in from a diverse area, especially if you look like them or if you have some connection with them, it's easier for them to imagine themselves in that role. Because if you can do it,
2: hey, there's a chance I can do it as well.
0: Yeah, very good point. Marina? Um,
2: um, over to you yeah absolutely just a couple of thoughts here um i think uh it's uh, you know ultimately speaking about bottom line uh it's incredibly beneficial for companies to have the workforce that resembles their customer base to tell you the truth first of all that um you know if uh, that is the case that's gonna attract more customers from different backgrounds right so because uh this is a great motivation and a, a, a great point that brings new customers to, to the business, right? Because you want to support business that uh supports people from your community. That that's number one. And and number two, um, you know, obviously um going back to uh, different um, you know. Um, sources uh, that would where these great candidates would come from. Uh, Samita, going back to your uh, point about uh, boot camps, um, this is definitely something that the companies can do on their own. And I know that there's a, a huge pilot at uh, at our company where we uh, uh, enroll people from non-traditional backgrounds, from non-technical backgrounds, and we train them extensively for six to eight months um, in technology um, you know skills that would be required to uh, be employed at our company and then we guarantee employment for these folks that graduate um, and and um, you know they are enrolled into in, into a rotational program where you would rotate between different uh, business lines and you ultimately find what you're really passionate about and you stay. With that company, that that the kind of commitment that we should ask for companies um, to to provide and demonstrate. I think that works really well.
0: Uh, perfect. Thanks, Marina. So, would anyone like to add anything further on this particular topic or share anything um, related to to anything that we've discussed today before
1: we uh, wrap things up? There's one other thing I wanted to mention on this topic. Um, and we instituted this at a prior company. We added to our um, process for uh, RFP process, if we're um, onboarding new vendors or looking for new vendors, it's to focus on that diversity as well. So we wanted to make sure that it was a very intentional thing that we're doing that. Not only are we looking to diversify our own workforce, but we also want to work with other companies that take it as a something that's
0: crucial yeah so taking that as a internal and external mantra as a business yeah good good to hear um brilliant so perfect I think that's a great place to to leave the discussion for today so before we wrap things up um, entirely it'd be good to go around the room and get a key takeaway or some key takeaways that you guys have um, learned from the, the discussion that we've had today so um, Samita do you want to start on on your side?
4: Sure. Um, I think the most important um, realization for me is um, the ability to influence people from even younger age. Uh, For example, uh, start earlier than community college, um, Corgros has a partnership with uh, STEAM Cambridge where we met folks uh, this year. This was my very first time um, doing it with corpus And it was really awesome because I was able to connect with people um, uh, that I usually don't uh, run into. So uh, it was early in their career, there was a possibility for us to show them what life was in a tech company. And one of them also said that, oh, I have the same background as you. My dad wanted me to also study engineering or medicine. So I was like, yes, I know exactly what this means. So um, it was uh, eye-opening and it was a good opportunity. Uh, And also, I like the vendor point of even work with companies who prioritize the same as you.
0: Brilliant. Thanks for that. Um, Marina, what would be your key takeaway?
4: Well, first of all, It's been
2: an incredible pleasure to meet with you all today and um, uh, share some thoughts and uh, having an opportunity to to gather thoughts from you and and learn from your experiences. It it was incredibly rewarding. And uh, we just need to um, continue on with this battle and uh, don't rest on our laurels and keep pushing the boundaries uh, and come up with new initiatives and introduce them uh, at our companies or uh, places that we work at.
0: Yeah. Um, moving on, uh, Laker, on your side,
3: I think, yeah, I think one of the words that, uh, Sumita used earlier, you know, forming that sisterhood and, and, you know, enhancing that sisterhood is just so important, you know, and I'm so happy that I've added three more sisters to my sisterhood, because I think honestly, um, I think a lot of our experiences are similar, but they are also dissimilar in many in in many aspects. And so, really, kind of understanding how each one of you are uh, tackling it, or you know, looking to tackle, and just sharing those experiences, because again, hitting about what Marina said earlier. I mean, we all who have had what I call as privilege to be where we are right now. If we don't kick the doors, if we don't push the boundaries, if we don't make our voice heard, you know, to our earlier point at the founders level or at the you know Cxo levels, if there is no diversity, if we don't keep kicking that door down and you know using our voices uh, uh, to to influence, because all the metrics in the world can be uh, you know kept aside. Right? Whether McKinsey did a study. Or you know, or you know, World Bank did a study, or what have you, and so it 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 falls on us as you know the existing set of people to be constantly uh, you know knocking on the door, pushing the door, and then more importantly, one of the terms I use, we have to democratize these opportunities, you know, to our larger teams and our larger networks. So that's my takeaway from
0: today. Oh, man, brilliant. Thanks, Like And then finally, Anisha, uh, for yourself.
1: So my takeaway is um, whenever you're <laughs> Pushing that boulder up that hill and thinking that it's just you that's experiencing this thing. Remember, remember, all of us we are experiencing it. We know what it feels like, but we can't give up the fight, right? We still have to volunteer. We still have to speak up, as the uh, MBTA say, "See something, say something," right? So don't for- don't forget, you know, we're here to not only pay it forward but to make sure that we continue to pave that path. Um, you know, we, we've we we've, we've done a lot. You know, we've made a lot of strides, but there's always more work to do.
0: Awesome. What a great note to finish on. Thanks a lot for sharing. We'll, we'll leave it there for today. So this has been the Evolution Exchange USA podcast. I would like to take this opportunity to thank Leika, Marina, Sumita, and Anisha for provide, providing their insights into today's important topic. Thank you very much for listening. We will see you next time.